Well, Husker football is back tomorrow, actually, uh, or maybe even today, depending on when I get this out of the toaster and edited fully. But Justin, the Nick of Time is back as well. I'm Justin. Nick is joining me today. And sorry, I've been eating a granola bear. Sorry, granola bear. Oh, that's Ooh. a business idea. That's a free one for you guys. Um, granola bar. And um, what? What type of granola bar? This is important. Oh, it's like the knockoff kind bars from, from Costco, the Kirkland brand. Costco. They keep the cost low. They do. Runs of. Gets tons of funds of. <laughs> um, anyway, as we were kind of saying, welcome to Justin Nick Time. It's football season. Yeah. I was going to give Justin a but I don't remember what it was. What did you just say? You said something. Oh, out of the toaster. Yeah, a toaster is just kind of a word I use for things. I, I use it for one thing. It's a machine that toasts my bread. That's what I no, use. Like, like some people say I'm back in the lab or, you know, stuff like that when they're working. I just use toaster as like You're a general term. around the toaster. Yeah. Of cool. like when I'm getting something ready, I'm, I'm like toasting it. And then when I submit the content, it's toasted to perfection. So... Uh, I've started referring uh, to journalistic work as working in the content mines uh, when when speaking to my girlfriend because it, it kind of evokes like a Soviet calcium mine that I feel like I'm working in at all times. So that's exciting. That's fun. That's, that's only what I got slightly going. less specific than toaster metaphors. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Okay, so, so let's get this toaster rocking, rocking hot here. Um, Let's toast that bread. <laughs> Today, ladies and gentlemen, longtime listeners of this podcast will know that I am bad at sports journalism, which is why I don't do it professionally uh, and, and only help Justin with this podcast so that he has someone to talk to. And um, end of the day, uh, I was really busy with the news side of the publication we now both work at, Daily Nebraskan. Shameless plug, go read all of the content on the Daily Nebraskan and make us some money. Um, but I have been really busy covering things happening at the University of Nebraska Lincoln's campus regarding fraternities. And, and uh, I have been far too busy to um, breathe or sleep or eat granola bars, let alone think about Husker football. So, in the true spirit of colleges coming back in person, we are going to have a good old-fashioned cram session for the test. Uh, I'm going to be able to – Justin will give us a rundown of – I figure we'll do, like, offense, defense, special teams. Then we'll talk about Illinois. Then we'll talk about the season as a whole. And the yes. test at the end is that I will give you a record prediction for this year. Yeah, I awesome. know nothing but my preconceived notion. I will let, let my preconceived notion out there of just like the Kool-Aid that I've been hearing. The Kool-Aid seems even weaker than normal this year. And I am going to say five and seven. Now, Justin might be able to convince me to six and six. He might talk me down to four and eight. But my preconceived notion is five and seven. It's not a terrible place to be, honestly. But because like historically, yeah, 
because I I drink the Kool-Aid almost every year because it is really fun to imagine the Huskers being good again. We're so, going to win the West. <laughs> Didn't you know, Justin, I, we're going to win the West. No, no. Even though I'm not drinking that much, Kool-Aid for me this year is like seven and five, eight and four. And I, I think see. that's attainable, but not likely. Kool-Aid for you is like a spot in the Gator Bowl. Yes, which is, I think, now the Tax Slayer Bowl. Okay. So that's fun. <laughs> I want I want the Duke's Mayo Bowl. That that would be a fun bowl to go to. That the would be as hell. Bowl. I was talking yeah. to Landon Word about that yesterday, that that is a very real possibility that we end up there. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of my pie-in-the-sky dream for the season is a win in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. So <laughs> keep that in mind when I'm discussing these players and trying to compliment them is that that's what I think this team's absolute ceiling is. <laughs> but still, I can see more reason for optimism this year than last year for sure. So I think this team will be better for a couple of reasons. Starting off with the offense. Last year, we relied a lot on a lot of newcomers to do a lot of the heavy lifting. Besides Wandale Robinson, there was no consistent weapon anywhere. Martinez was in and out with injuries. And the offensive line had a lot of rotations and some freshmen starting who didn't quite have, you know, experience yet. They have that this year. And all the underclassmen this year will have this a full year of camp and a new sort of offensive philosophy. Frost has mentioned that he's going to be scaling himself back in the play calling duties and letting Matt Lubick be like the co-play caller, whether that's, you know, just the title or that's actually how they're going to run the offense has yet to be seen. But I think Frost finally realizes what he's been trying to do with his offense has not worked so far. The first couple of seasons, 2018, 2019, a bit of 2020, we're trying to be the UCF offense, short and fast. That doesn't quite work in the Big Ten. You need to be big and strong and corn-fed. So we've got some big boys now at, at the skill positions. No more. Our, white, our, our best wide receivers this year are not going to be under six feet. So that alone should have some optimism that this offense is going to look a bit different. And they've also mentioned getting the power run game started again. If you watch the best this team looked last season, the second half against Rutgers, that's exactly what they did was power run, hard-nosed football, strong offensive line. So because of that, there was just some reason for optimism in the general scheme of things. They're trying something new. There's a chance it might not work, but there's a chance it does. And like on paper, the reasoning seems sound and we have kind of the talent for it. Any comments before I jump into the depth chart breakdown? It smells like bullshit. Like I just, I, come on, man. Come on. I, it is going to be so, so hard. Because I think... Every Nebraska fan has felt like Sisyphus pushing a rock up a mountain just to have it roll down every year by about the fifth or sixth game. And, like, man, like, 
we've got one of those seasons. We've got one of those schedules where like first few, first three certainly look like winnable must wins to get to six and six. Yes. Finding those, finding those next three wins, that gets difficult. That gets hard for me to see how that works. Um, anywhere on the schedule where I say, hmm, having seen, I mean, Nebraska's biggest problem last year is, well, uh, I think there's a couple things. Uh, inability to develop talent over off seasons. Right, we watched Adrian get arguably worse over the last few years. Um, I feel bad for the guy. I think he is probably sitting here thinking, "Hmm, what if I hadn't come to Nebraska? What if I had gone someplace that could have really developed me?" You know, I think I think that's at least in the back of his mind. So when you tell me he's got newfound confidence coming to this year, I say, based on what? Based on what? Because. Based on some good weeks of practice, because well, we had a lot of those before a lot of losses. Adrian's best year, most would agree, was his freshman season in 2018. A big reason why is because he had a deep threat at receiver in Stanley Morgan Jr., one the Huskers have not been able to replace yet. This year, we've got a guy, Samori Toure. And the resume speaks for itself with this guy. He was an FCS All-American at Montana, who is consistently one of, you know, the top five FCS teams. So, you know, at least, you know, in the upper half of group of five teams, if not like the upper tier, that's the talent level we're working on here with this guy, who in a playoff game against Southeastern Louisiana had 313 yards receiving and three touchdowns which broke Randy Moss's record for most receiving yards in an FCS playoff game. We get a one-year rental with this guy because he's a senior. And based on everything I'm hearing out of practice, this guy's going to be the real deal. He's going to be the number one option. And just on paper and just on film, he looks like the best pure receiver, pure deep threat we've had since Stanley Morgan. So that's, one reason for optimism is we have one guy at least the rest of the receiving core is kind of mostly the same as it was late last year expected to make some big moves is Oliver Martin who this is the third big 10 school he has played for after not being able to find time at Michigan and Iowa now he's here now he has a full offseason camp underneath him he played a lot in like the final three games and early on, I saw some problems with just him and Adrian not being able to get on the same page, which has happened with a couple of receivers in the past, like Mike Williams and kind of Ainoa. But let's just hope that this offseason and the attention defense will be fixing, fixating on Toure will open him up some more because I think the talent is there with the guy. I've seen him get open. It's just a matter of him, you know, being on the same page as Adrian. and. From after there, the wide, the third wide receiver spot is a bit dicey. There is the ever so elusive Omar Manning, who was the number one JUCO recruit in the country at wide receiver, maybe even overall, headed into 2020, and he played all of five snaps. There are some injuries there. There were some 
mental health issues of why he couldn't see the field. And unfortunately, it sounds like those are once again coming up in the rumor mill. And people have, some Husker insiders have said to not expect him to have a, anything more than a limited role against Illinois. Whether that's the case, we'll have to see Saturday. But like the Manning, Manning is six foot four, 220 pounds, just the exact frame you want in wide receiver. I just have no idea what's going on if he's ever actually going to see the field. So if he sees the field, great, but just take all the praise with a grain of salt because you might not actually see the guy. So like, don't be surprised if you <laughs> never have to use any of this information I'm telling you about him. Yeah. So I think we're to the point where maybe we should go sort of position by position for the offense. Yes. Wide receiver, I guess we'll do first. Vaguely, let's say looking possibly better than last year, but yes. was woeful, woeful, woeful last year. Um, I think it is always difficult to parse blame between a receiving core and a quarterback. Um, but certainly even the most staunch of Adrian naysayers, um, I say referring to myself in a visual gag that won't read in an audio medium, uh, even, even we would, would say he has not had the kind of targets over the last couple of years that he has I don't know if like deserved is a word you can use for college quarterbacks, but like that highlighted him in the way you'd want to see him highlighted. Uh, and, and honestly, I say good. I say that takes away the excuse. Um, there have been, I think, just a lot of excuses made for Adrian over the years. Uh, and I think this is one of the more valid ones. I think this one goes away and we get to see honest to God, what's he made of. Um as we move to quarterback, my first thought, as I kind of think of Adrian, oh, is like, what? Can I do some quick lightning rounds on all the other receivers you might potentially see before we move on to quarterback? Please do. Get as granular as you like, friend. Absolutely. All right. So the likely third wide receiver, just based on what I've been hearing out of camp, is Wyatt Lure or Lever. Uh, the W is very tricky in European last names as I know, because I watched a 20 minute documentary on YouTube about the history of the letter W, which is absolutely fascinating, by the way. So plug for that video. It's some nerd, nerdish, but I like it. Um, <laughs> anyways, he played a lot last year. I was not impressed with him at all. He's the six foot four walk on out of O'Neill. So he has the size certainly for what we're trying to do on offense. And apparently he's made a great leap forward in camp. So Take that as you will. The coaches love this guy. So this is supposed to be a breakout season for him. Other names you might see, Alante Brown. He's probably the fastest guy of the bunch, also the shortest. So interesting to see how he'll work into this new system. Will Nixon, he was our best recruit, you know, high school rated wide receiver recruit last year, but he missed all of the season with the torn ACL and has apparently been really learning this offense well in camp. So expect to see him a bit. Xavier Betts showed potential last year, but, you know, didn't really see the field in every game. So he might be there. Levi Falks, the South Dakota transfer, played a bit last year. Wasn't anything special, but he's here as well. So those are all the names you might see at receiver. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. 
great. Thank you for that. I retain yes. none of that. Um, I hope our listeners have better retention than I do, but I, I am I am a sad, sad sag. So uh, I do want to say that as someone reading a book about communist history in China, uh, I get nervous when people start talking about great, great leaps forward. Uh, those historically have not panned out super well. But um, I am very curious, and you've definitely kind of peaked um, my attention going into tomorrow, uh, because we procrastinate on everything and we should have done this earlier, going into tomorrow on this receiver core. So can we move to quarterback? Because a bitch Absolutely. actually has thoughts on this. Cool. Yes. I think, again, casualist of casual observers, everything today with a grain of salt. You, I promise you, listener, if you are listening to this Husker podcast, it probably means you listen to other ones. You've done more work. I listened to like two episodes of the new like Sip McEwen podcast, and I thought it was interesting to see. Um, but one thing they didn't talk about that I am curious about is it's time, and I realized that because of COVID, he has another year of eligibility if he wants it, but it's time to start thinking about a post-Adrian world. And to start thinking about Adrian Martinez's legacy at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And to really do some soul searching if he wants to come back as to whether he's the best option moving forward. Now, maybe he is, but I think you've got two guys underneath him right now that I'm sure Justin can go into much more detail about um, that show legitimate promise and show kind of a style of quarterbacking, I think, that is more consistent, possibly, if some if some learning is done there. And I think that consistency is what Husker fans are craving more than anything in the world. Like, yeah, I want to go to a bowl game. Yeah, I want to I want to go to the to the Tax Slayer Bowl. Uh, I I want to eventually look like we're on a path to challenge in the West. And obviously, I want to win conferences and natties someday. But like, until then. I just don't want to have to like watch a quarterback for four hours on the weekend that like hurts my heart. It just, it just deflates me as I'm trying to watch the game and makes me want to give up at halftime and sometimes makes me give up at halftime because I can watch a team that's down 30 clamber back to down seven. I can get behind that. I can't watch a team where we continue to see quarterbacking mistakes until we're down 40 or 50. I mean, it gets nasty fast. Uh, And I'm all for moral victories as a Husker, but I think seeing a lack of – and come at me if you're an Adrian fan and you want to say that, oh, man, he's better than a lot of quarterbacks. I should hope so. He's our starting quarterback. I should hope he is better than a lot of quarterbacks. What I would also hope is he's better than enough quarterbacks for us to win some damn games, right? And you're going to say, well, you couldn't do that, right? Because anytime you criticize an athlete and you're not an athlete, someone's like, you couldn't do what they do. Bro, I couldn't do what the starting quarterback at Pius does, right? That's why I was a freaking theater kid. But, like, that doesn't mean oh, I, I could absolutely lose to East. Oh shit! You're right. I, I mean, I I would lose to East in a much more spectacular fashion. Oh, that was that was rough. It sounds like it was kind of close. Um, but yeah. yeah, I just saw I the score. So, what what was the score? Seventeen fourteen. 
Yeah, I mean, classic high school football. Yeah. Someone made a kick, someone didn't. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it is it is really difficult for me to say I have confidence going into this year at quarterback. I know there's more buzz around Adrian. I want him to prove his naysayers wrong. I, I want to be incorrect. And I having listened to like podcasts with him on it, having heard more about him personally. I mean, he's been here the entire time we've been here. Uh, he's a senior with us this year. Um, Amart seems like a great guy and I would love to see him do well. I would love to see him have an NFL career. Uh, I don't even know. Tell me how feasible that is that after a good season or two here, he could, he could go to the draft and, and make an impact somewhere. If you have any talent whatsoever at quarterback in college, you're getting a shot in the NFL. Like Tanner Lee, the quarterback in our last year of Matt of Mike Riley got drafted just because he had a strong arm, even though he went four and eight and he had three interceptions in the loss against Northern Illinois. If he can get drafted, Adrian can get drafted just based on pure potential. Like that's what you draft for at quarterback in the NFL is just the best case scenario. So he'll get at least a preseason look, if nothing else. Wow. Well, well, good for good for him. And and I wish him the best. And and I I really want to see him have success here. I don't want him to leave like a lot of guys, Tanner Lee included, as a guy who is like left with potential left on the field. Um, Over the last several years and honestly ever, we have not been a quarterback school. We have not been a school that develops quarterbacks particularly well. Yeah, we, we've we've this is our pretty much third quarterback in the past decade where a four year starter that has, you know, a great amount of potential, but has just so many frustrating mistakes that have remained the same throughout all the years. Like, yeah. well, I guess Martinez doesn't really do the Tommy bomb or as or the Taylor Martinez YOLO bomb because he has nobody to YOLO bomb to. But uh he still th- makes some bad decisions. Yeah, poor running. Throws some interceptions, fumbles, like the same problems we've had. But he's also a very gifted runner. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Of just oh, he's fast as hell. Freddie's. Yeah, it's the it's the decision making in those moments. It's the turning the scramble into the run that when he does it, it works really well. And when he doesn't, and I understand injuries have plagued him. You don't want to take too many shots. I'm sure he's being told not to do that. But at the same time, like, again, and, and it seems like there's a synergy between Martinez and this coaching staff that just isn't quite there yet. Um, and, and I'm hoping they get that figured out. We will talk coaching staff later, I am sure. Uh, it would, we would be remiss not to. Am I gathering from you and kind of from my preconceived notions that Martinez is a big wait and see this year? Yes, because I think the problems that have rose in the past with Martinez are still a concern going into this year, are still sort of keeping me from being fully confident he'll take the big leap forward. But he does have, you know, at least on paper, depending on who plays, a solid receiving core since at least that he didn't have last year, at least. And the change in offensive philosophy means that he probably won't be running the football as much because we have running backs who are going to trust with that. 
Like I've heard maybe even like a 60, 40 split of run versus pass. I've, I've seen that get thrown around out there as rumors of what this new offense is going to look like. Adrian was our leading rusher last year. That's not ideal unless you're like a triple option team, which we are not. So if we can take that pressure off of Adrian and have him have receivers who he can, you know, trust to be open enough to not go for the run and he can be healthier and not scared for his life back there and counted on to do everything. Cause last year's offense was basically the Adrian and Wandale show with Diedrich when he was healthy. So that's absolutely not what they want to do again this year. So yeah. that's the optimist view on Adrian is that this coaching staff is trying to put him in a position to succeed. One note before we move to running back proper. I think the best position you could give Wandale Robinson is a Wandale back um, because he just kind of did, he did football. Yeah. Like, honestly, I would list his position as football player because that is, that is how Wandale approached the sport. God bless him. I'm going to miss him personally. He was easily my favorite player last year. He was a guy who there was a lot to like about. He left for what seemed to be, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, noble reasons that he wanted to be well, closer to home during a global and, pandemic. Anyone can understand that. And we in this house will not shit talk Wandale because I like him a lot. Um, and he actually wanted to have a position instead of here's the ball, run. Like, yeah, which is, which is understandable, uh, even though it was magical to watch him. Tru- truly, truly, the Kentucky and Messi. Um, but, uh, I will say, uh, to you, Justin, I will ask how much will we miss Wandale Robinson? Um, maybe a little bit, like (laughs) probably a lot from a scale of like your crush lets you down before the dance to like divorce after 10 years of marriage. I'm going to take the optimist view again, just chugging the Kool-Aid. I'm going to say it's like your crush leaving at the dance, but like they have somebody they're happy with. And then you pick yourself up and you find somebody who works better for you than them anyways. And I think oh, that's really? what we're trying to okay. do. Okay. So this could be an okay thing. Yes. In, is it, maybe, maybe there's a better way to phrase the question. At the end of week four, will I say, God damn, I miss Wandale. Maybe it it all depends on if our rebound actually works out for us, which we're we're trying to do. We're trying to do addition by subtraction. I've even heard it thrown around. I think I mentioned this in our pod after he left that we were maybe trying to get him the ball so much that that sort of trumped whatever actual offensive philosophy we're trying to run at the time. Whereas this year, it seems everything's a bit more, you know, philosophy based. So that's what the hope is this year is that we are able to have the addition by subtraction of Wandale Robinson and able to get more guys the ball in a way that makes more sense as a team. And a way we're trying to do that is with a rejuvenated running back core. Diedrich Mills has left to the NFL. And now, so the next, our next guy up last year, Marvin Scott, the third is probably fifth on this year's running back depth chart. So we are going to see some new faces who are apparently, yeah, a lot better 
than what we've had in the past. Chief among those, I think, yes, fifth. I would have Scott the third as easily fifth, if not sixth, depending on Ramir Johnson. I'm joking on my sandwich. <laughs> the guy we have landed here is now, there's four people, four human beings at the running back position better than what we had last year, supposedly. Yes. Back that up for me, homie, because that's hard to believe. Marquis Step, transfer from USC. Besides the injuries, he showed a lot of promise in his first two seasons at USC. He left because USC wants to throw the ball more. So him coming here obviously signals that we want to run the ball more. He's got the body. He's got the skill set of a workhorse back. Uh, so expect to see him when he's fully healthy. He's had this nagging foot injury all throughout camp. A couple of weeks ago, the coaches said he can play in a game right now if you if there was one, but whether that means he can play at full strength being the bell cow or he can just see the field is remains to be seen. And I'm a bit skeptical that he's going to be the guy week one below him. You have eventually, eventually that kind of every down workforce, four yards, five yards, ground and pound kind of back. Or is he kind of like a, okay. Yeah. Think of him as like a Diedrich Mills 2.0. And that's what we're trying to go for with him. Beneath him, and likely your two backs week one, are true freshman Gabe Irvin Jr., who's apparently a fantastic uh, pass blocker and, you know, a really, really talented and running back to a position where it's sort of easier than most to succeed fresh out of the gate as a freshman. So that bodes well for Gabe Irvin Jr. He was our one of our most highly touted recruits of this class. So coaching staff has high hopes for him and he got first team reps in the spring game and they have been singing his praises a lot since April. So Gabe Irvin Jr., I would say, expect to see him Saturday. Maybe not the starter because Sevion Morrison, this is his second freshman season after he missed all of last year with injuries. His name has been mentioned a lot in the past three weeks. So the late push maybe makes me think he'll be the starter. And apparently he has the highest ceiling out of any of the backs in the backfield. So this coaching staff just loves the potential of this guy. And beneath him, we have this year's winner of the Breon Karn Spring Game Standout Award, Jacques Yant, who is a walk-on from Florida, who is, if you remember Amani Cross, picture Amani Cross, but tall. And that's the sort of running style this guy has. He's probably going to be a fullback in some packages this year and most certainly will be a goal line back when we get down there. So those four guys, I think you're going to see at running back. And I think they all sort of, at least in theory, fit what we're trying to do. Okay. So gun to your head. Who starts tomorrow? Um, all off season long, I've been hearing Irvin, but <laughs> if we're going off of, whose name the coaches have said more in the past week. I think it will be Morrison, but don't be surprised if it's Irvin or even step. If you know, all's well in the foot region. Okay. Okay. Um, so the big Ten has one of the, some of the best run defenses 
in the country. Are these guys realistically going to be able to respond to that level of talent? Hopefully. I mean, I'm confident that Marquis Stepp can at least. But, I mean, it's hard for me to say so because Irvin, Morrison, and Yant have not actually played a college football game yet in their career. So I really like what I've seen of Marquis Stepp. He had, from what I remember, a really solid game against Notre Dame, who was consistently one of the best teams in the country. So that should give you an idea of his potential. So I'm confident in saying Stepp absolutely can have success in the Big Ten. And then just gauging of if the coaches value that Irvin and Morrison as much as step, ergo, they can probably do that too. Of course, what the coaches say doesn't always translate. In fact, it's pretty hit or miss 50-50, whether it does or doesn't. But I like to drink the Kool-Aid, and I think that because of these guys already being ahead of everything we had last year, Sands Diedrich Mills with Ramir Johnson and Marvin Scott III being the only two other running backs who got carried and them all being below these guys on the depth chart. I think there's that's a good reason to believe in the potential this year. I got you. I got you. Okay, can we talk about center, a position that we struggled at last year? Yes. Uh, I've heard from some Husker Beat reporters who have attended practice that Jurgens has gone many a practice without having a bad snap. So that's good. <laughs> Besides that, I really don't know anything about the offensive line. That's just not my area. I, I don't understand what I'm watching there. And uh, unless you're making penalties or snapping the ball above the quarterback's head, I really can't give you analysis there. I can tell you who's going to be starting, but I can't give you much analysis on them. <laughs> okay. Overall thoughts on the offense for us? Um, it's going to be better than last year if only because it can't really get much worse. Like, I find it hard to believe that last year's crop of young guys having another year of experience is going to hurt them development-wise. And I think the new scheme idea sounds promising, but Frost also got us really hyped on the idea of being the team that makes the Big Ten adjust to us. So I am sort of hesitant to fully buy into this philosophy working but at least on paper compared to the teams that have success in this conference what we're trying to do makes a lot of sense now so I think it's going to be better I think that we're probably going to score more in the red zone than we did last year thankfully because oh, I have this I have this stat somewhere in one of the articles I've wrote but we, we had a bad percentage of red zones trips we converted into touchdowns and I just think that with these players who are better we should be better just because we can't get that much worse at it like and if we are then there's something seriously wrong I think that the philosophy makes sense for the problems we've had and that's sort of my bottom line on the offense all right all right, let's talk defense. Where do you want to start? The defense. Uh, just overall, I think the defense is getting maybe a little bit too much hype. 
uh, this time of year. I've heard people call this one of the best units in the conference and rag about how we have nine returning starters. We returned nine starters from a defense that was middle of the road last year that absolutely collapsed against Illinois and had games where it was good, but the most I can say about the defense last year is that it was, is that it was decidedly not the problem. So <laughs> this year, I trust the defense to not be the problem again, but I struggle to view it as a huge strength of us because of really a lack of pass rush that I could be proven wrong about. We do have some talented young players who showed some potential last year who, you know, could take that leap this year. And like the, the secondary is really good, but still you saw that even with one of our best secondaries in years, teams still could pass on us when they wanted to like Ohio state. Well, I know they did that to everybody, but still there's, if a team has a truly, you know, talented passing game, they can get some plays on us, even though it did mostly work against Purdue besides that play where two safeties tackle each other. But <laughs> so things like that still happen. And this linebacking core is a little bit inexperienced for all the praise that they're getting, but I still see a lot of potential there. And I trust this defense to be solid and middle of the big 10. Once again, I'd say maybe top five at number five, if everyone plays their full potential. Uh, do you want to start with the line, the guys up front? Well, that's what I said we're starting with. So <laughs> that's where we're going. Let's but, do it. Thankfully, the defense kind of makes it easy to decide who's going to be starting because they handed out the black shirts, 12 of them this year. That should give you a pretty good idea of who you're going to be mainly seeing on the field. So I'm going to go over those guys first. And then some other guys you're probably going to see because we rotate guys out a lot on defense. Defensive line, we had three black shirt earners. DeAndre Thomas, who has been here since like 2018, I believe, and has always been on the verge of a breakout year that has not happened yet. But this is his first time earning a black shirt. So this is the coach's stamp of approval that this is the year he becomes something. But I have not been impressed with anything I've seen from him so far, given that he's played three seasons and I can't really remember anything he's done. Uh, defensive tackle, Damian Daniels, the brother of Darian Daniels, who was our nose tackle before Damian Daniels was our nose tackle. Uh, he actually led the defensive line in tackles last year. So that's not nothing from a nose tackle. That's pretty solid. And I like him. He's got potential. He's a solid nose tackle. He's not a game changer like Ndamukong Stu or anything, but for what we need out of that position, I'm confident that he can at least give us that and that he's a team captain this year shows that there's a lot of confidence in him as a leader of the defense. So I like it. I don't think that'll be a problem for us. Other defensive end, Ben Stilley, likely going to be our sacks leader this year either him or Feldarius Payne, who I'm mentioning because I want to say Feldarius Payne. Uh, <laughs> Payne had two sacks. What a season name. Closer. What a football player name. What a yes. defensive tackle name. <laughs> yes, I think he had two sacks in our last game against Rutgers. So a lot of people are buying into his stock just based on how high 
he rose last year at the end. And I could see that happening. Like he's a junior college transfer out. <laughs> I've stopped talking about Stilly. I'm on the pain train now, but you know, Randy Gregory was a Juco transfer too. So we've had success from that position, edge rusher, edge rusher position from Juco transfers. And with a full off season, I can definitely see why people are buying into the hype. Uh, but Ben Stilly's been here for a while. He was the guy who made the game saving sack against Penn state last year. So he knows how to get in the backfield in big 10. I think he's probably the most, he was easily the most consistent pass rusher game in and game out last year. I should expect that to continue this year. So Ben Stilly name to look out for if you're trying to bet on who's going to have the most sacks this season, other guys who are going to get playing time on, on the D line. Jordan Riley is another guy. Coaches are saying he's made a huge step forward from last year. So we'll see how that works out. Casey Rogers showed promise last year. So I was kind of surprised not to see him earn a black shirt, but I still expect to see him a lot. And then Ty Robinson was our biggest recruit on the D line last year. Had a great game against Ohio State, but just kind of never reached that again, save for a couple plays here and there. Didn't get a black shirt either, but Coaches still really like the guy, so they're confident in that this D-line will be one of the better ones we've had in the past few seasons. But still, I don't really see that. Until I see us have a consistent pass rush, I won't believe we have one because we haven't had one of those in years. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so overall thoughts? Yeah, those – that last sentence is pretty much my overall thoughts. It's we certainly have the talent to have something good this year on the defensive line. I like, <laughs> I like Stilly. I like Payne. Rodgers and Robinson showing a lot of promise. Daniels is a great run defender. So defensive line, they just need to get some more sacks to be a truly great unit, but this is at least a solid one. Now onto the linebackers. Uh, the Blackshirt earners were Luke Reimer, Nick Henrich, Garrett Nelson, and Caleb Tanner. So expect to see them most of the time. A name I was surprised I didn't hear was Chris Kolarevich, a transfer from Northern Iowa who coaches just absolutely loved in the early spring. Maybe it's just uh, seniority rules and the fact that those other four were there last year. I want to say Reimer showed the most potential last year and was probably our best returner. Henrich has his moments as well. And Nelson, he makes some bonehead plays, but this guy gives 100% every single down. And there is nobody more emotional when he makes a stop than this guy. So I like having him around. And Caleb Tanner, who's been a backup for the past couple seasons, getting that black shirt is pretty huge for him and his development. So I'm excited in what the coaches see in him, that he can beat Kolarevich and maybe crack the starting rotation and they obviously see something in this linebacking core if they give four black shirts because they gave out 12 and there's only 11 people on a defense at a time so i'm intrigued by what they see in caleb tanner because i haven't seen that much from him that i've you know really remembered but that's intriguing that they gave him that big stamp of confidence so i think the linebacking core is going to be pretty good losing will honus hurts a lot but hopefully Kolarevich will be there to fill the gap. And again, not really much of a pass rush threat, but 
I think these guys can at least replicate what they did last year again and hopefully force some turnovers because Nebraska had terrible luck with forced fumbles last year. Like, I think I want to say we forced, like, I'm probably butchering the stat, 15 of them and only recovered three. It was like some of the most insanely bad bounces you can possibly get. So, <laughs> yeah. And now on to the big strength of the defense, I think, which is the secondary. Markel Dismuke and Deontay Williams as the safety tandem. These guys are both like six-year seniors, I think. Like Deontay Williams is 25, I think. He has a kid. His nameplate says William Sr. on it. Like, this dude's been around the block. I like the way he plays a little bit, but, like, I don't love it because if we're taking bets on who's going to get flagged for targeting the most, Williams is by far the favorite. He's the guy who looks for blood every time he's out there in the secondary, which has its moments. He's forced a couple fumbles that way, but he's also had some hits where he should have known better than to try to <laughs> torpedo himself in there. The Smukes made some penalty mistakes in the past as well, but for the most part, it's a pretty solid coverage safety. Uh, corners, Cam Taylor-Britt, I see as one of the best cornerbacks in the Big Ten. Uh, if not one of the best players overall in the Big Ten. He's got a great nose for the football, and you might not hear much from him from him this year because I don't really see a lot of teams trying to throw to him because given that our other three cornerbacks are not as tested and veteran as Taylor Britt is. And those are the corners are Quentin Newsome, who played opposite Taylor Britt a lot late last year. Wasn't really too impressed with him, but you know, he was a young guy sort of thrown into a starting role. So hopefully he gets better. Braxton Clark. I like what I saw from him in 2019, missed all of 2020 with an injury. He's kind of a reserve corner in 2019, but I saw some potential there. So I like him to be the second corner starting alongside Taylor Britt. And then the most intriguing player in the secondary is Tyreek Johnson, a transfer from Ohio State. He only played 22 snaps for the Buckeyes, but this is the first former five-star recruit we have had on our roster since 2012. So <laughs> the potential is there with this guy and a name I did not mention in the linebackers who I completely forgot because he's kind of positionless on defense is Jojo Doman who's kind of a linebacker kind of a safety and kind of an edge rusher so I think overall he's going to be our leading tackler on the defense and he's getting some serious love from some national publications like Pro Football Focus has him as the number four linebacker in all of college football going into this year. So he's getting some NFL love. I really like what I've seen from him. I think he's going to be a great leader of this defense. So this defense on a whole isn't anything, you know, overwhelmingly impressive, but there aren't really any holes in it that I see aside from some unproven corner talent away from Taylor Britt. Damn, I nailed that. That was some one take Jake stuff. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good. I do want to backtrack something that we do Absolutely. need to talk about. Um, something that's obviously going to make a big impact. Whatever happened to Austin Jablonski? Uh, he is in the transfer portal. Yeah, just couldn't crack the depth chart. So 
Austin, we wish you luck in South Dakota State. <laughs> All right, so special teams. Special teams. Uh, there was this really great. Water. Yeah, there was this really great article that I saw online because I wrote it about Nebraska special teams and <laughs> everyone you're going to possibly see there. This so, guy sucks. <laughs> this guy who I want a podcast with this sucks. Although, so go check that out. While we're, or, while we're flexing, while we're flexing, the first night of coverage on the Fiji protest had like seriously like a hundred thousand views so until you crack that with your piddly little special teams article don't come up here in my podcast looking for clout i'm kidding I'm, I'm sure. story i'm sure it's really good and i'm sure a hundred thousand people are just dying to know who our long snapper is going to be okay <laughs> we had two last year i didn't even know that until I started researching for my story, we yeah. yeah, we had a different guy on punts and field goals. Who knew? But yeah, special teams, as I mentioned in my award-winning coverage of <laughs> best long snapper preview in the Big Ten. Uh, <laughs> given that, believe that. Hundred percent believe that. Yes, <laughs> I'll give a brief overview. Uh, our kicking situation should be pretty good. We had the best kicker in the Big Ten last year, Connor Culp, but most of that was because he kicked the most out of anybody in the Big Ten because we couldn't score touchdowns, but this dude's as reliable as they come. Expect to see a new punter, Daniel Cerny. He is Australian. They churn out great punters down there because Aussie, Aussie rules football is basically you punt and then things happen. For the life of me, I can never understand that sport. So you do you, Australia. Uh, kickoffs, we were pretty bad at last year. We couldn't get a lot of touchbacks, and we allowed Rutgers to take one to the house. This year, we've got some guys who are hopefully going to change that. Brandon Frank and Kalen Meyer are supposedly just like touchback gods who will prevent big returns from happening in the first place. So that's good. Uh, kick return and punt return, or expect to see Cam Taylor-Britt in the, both of those roles. He's a guy who just does not want to ever leave the field. So besides his muffed punt in the fourth quarter against Iowa, he had a pretty solid year at punt returner last year. And kick returner could use a bit of work, but we've got a whole gaggle of people who the coaches have mentioned as getting reps at that position. So maybe something will stick there. And our backup punter, William Prisja, will be the holder on the field goals. That's a scoop you won't get anywhere else. Does it? Who's the kicker? Uh, Connor Culp. He yeah. was the kicker last year, LSU transfer. He had his truck stolen, and the fans helped him track it down. That's right. That's right. I remember this. Okay. <laughs> Will it matter? Uh, I think it will, actually. I, I think there's a lot to be improved. I don't know how many games this will entirely flip, but you don't want special teams to ever be a weakness. And this was a special teams unit that at times was because of that muff punt against Iowa. And because in Illinois and Rutgers, we allowed two fake punts to go for a first down without any coverage whatsoever. And we actually have a special teams coordinator this year, as opposed to an analyst that we weren't allowed to have and got punished for. 
so we're doing things legally this time. <laughs> so that's better. Much better. Much better. We'll yeah. talk about that later. So so that's my special teams. Again, I go a bit more in depth about who these guys are and what they're going to do in my coverage. I've been churning out some bangers all week. So check me out. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. This is an all DN podcast that is not at all affiliated with the Daily Nebraska. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right, man. Let's talk schedule. Sound good? Yes. Absolutely. Sucker up. And if you want to know some more about the teams we're playing on the schedule, uh, just go to my daily Nebraskan page. I dropped my Big Ten power rankings, which I will be doing every week. The first Yo, edition you're... came out today. So see where right. we are. All right. Okay. Let's uh, let's get talking about this uh, bang old, yeah. bang old schedule. Going to play the good old game of win-loss. <laughs> I love win-loss. Okay. Uh, uh, first up, in win-loss, tomorrow, 12 noon, big noon kickoff. Is kickoff. that, am I mistaken? It is big noon kickoff. It is the first treat of FBS college football the world will be treated to this year. Nebraska in Illinois. Are we the, Feel the excitement. FBS game of the year? I think so. There might be one kicking off at 11, but this is the first game between two FBS teams of the year. Wow. I mean, Power 5 teams at least, so. One reason it would be bad to lose, everyone's yeah. watching. Yes. <laughs> a second reason it would be bad to lose, it's a conference game. Mm-hmm. A third reason it would be bad to lose, it feels like all the momentum hinges here. Yes, it's very hard to see a path to six that does not include this game. Given that Illinois went two and six last year, besides their inexplicable 18-point victory against us, and they fired their coach and hired Brett Bielema, the former Arkansas coach who has not been a head coach at the FBS level since 2017, where he was a sub-500 coach at Arkansas. So... Traditionally, first years of new coaches don't go so smooth, particularly when they've been removed from the game. So all the signs should point to Nebraska in this one. Illinois does return 22 seniors from last year, but still there is a talent gap between Nebraska and Illinois that should be the difference here. Is there? I, it, no, 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 no. They beat us. Right? 18 points. Okay. Here's, here's the thing about that game. We turned the ball over four times on our side of the field. That's <laughs> we beat ourselves so badly that game. Yes. Yes. The, yes. The defense kind of gave up. So we, we just have to not do that. And the talent will easily win us the game. But do I trust us to not do that is the thing. <laughs> what are you talking about? Of course I don't. Of course I don't trust us at all. You're a madman. You're all crazy. You all, every year, every goddamn year, you all get together in August and you say, oh, it'll be great. It'll be lovely. We're not going to make the mistakes we made last year. And you go and say, Scott, Scott, how was this week of practice? And Scott looks into the microphone and says, it was a good week of practice. And then doesn't answer any other questions. And you guys are like, oh, Scott, you're so great. We love you so much. You've never led us astray. 
There's no way this happens again. And like Lucy and Charlie Brown, the football is yanked away from you and we suffer once more. And I feel terrible for you all because you could at least prepare yourselves for okay. this eventuality. And I'm Here's- not saying this happens against Illinois, but you know, you know, you know, you know that the level of discipline this team needs to not do that simply cannot be there under this coach. I'm not saying... I'm not saying I trust us to not beat ourselves in every game. I'm just saying it would take an all-time bad performance like we saw last year. I'm not saying that can't happen again. It's our again. first game of the year. We always look shaky. This is why we typically play Fordham. Yeah. But, like, good God, Illinois is so bad. <laughs> against They were so bad against every team that wasn't us. It's like... But who knows? If, like... I know. I feel. I, I I wouldn't. I don't feel fully confident in predicting a Nebraska when I'd say sixty to seventy percent because I just <laughs> I just think of how bad we would have to play. Like we we could play pretty bad and lose to a lot of Big Ten teams and still be Illinois, as you saw in twenty nineteen, where we played terribly for ninety percent of that Illinois game. And then the last 10 minutes, everything just turned on and realized, oh, we're playing Illinois and we won that game. I could see that happening again. I think Illinois absolutely keeps themselves in it week one. But at the end of the day, Nebraska just has to avoid an apocalypse to lose. I think an apocalypse could absolutely happen again. But Illinois, they... They're super thin at receiver. We have a pretty on paper solid run defense who again crapped the bed against Illinois because basically because the defense was on the field 80% of the time that game. So I think that uh, it's Illinois, a new coach. There's just so many factors against them this year that make me think that's not the game we dish away. We have plenty of chances to do that later on the schedule. Oh, we'll get there. But I think yeah. like, people seem really confident going into this game. And I want to temper expectations because it's still us. It's still the same mm-hmm. football team. And it's like, guys, this ain't it, Chief. Like, being confident in Husker football is a 90s thing, man. And I get that, I get that the 90s are back in fashion. But, like, not this, dudes. I uh, I'm gonna say we get the dub, but I'm gonna say it is way closer than it needs to be. Yeah, the score prediction off the top of my head, I will say 37-27. I think we get a backdoor cover at the end. I, I think it's a lot closer than that for most of the game, but okay. in the in the end, we get a ten point victory. What's the spread? Seven. Hmm. Uh, okay, Fordham, Nebraska. Fordham. I know nothing about Fordham. Let's keep it as close to that as possible. Yeah. I don't want to know about Fordham. They are a prestigious old university in the Northeast United States. Those teams typically have not been anything at football since, you know, the 40s. So they still have a team. They played in the spring. They were terrible. They have 
every power five team they face, they have just been absolutely walked over. I trust Frost enough to make the layups as he has against Bethune Cookman in Northern Illinois. This is this year's layup. So Fordham's the layup. Okay. Buffalo. Things could get dicey here, potentially. Uh, they did, I want to say, finish last season ranked. They were 6-1. and one. They won the MAC, But their entire coaching staff has left town for Kansas, and a lot of their best players have too. One of their really solid running backs from last year stayed, however, so he could be uh, troublesome. I think we still probably win, but don't be surprised whatsoever if this game is a Hail Mary away from overtime. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to come down to our defense's ability to stop that run war, one running back. And if we can make that happen, I think that they have no threats left on the offense that matter. I think that we don't have to even score that much to win uh, as long as we can neutralize him. Sounds like they don't have a pass attack. Sounds like they don't have a playbook. So, yeah, or at least not one they're going to be comfortable with. And this no. will be only their second game of the year. Yes. I think there is a legitimate advantage in starting early. I really do. I believe strongly that I'd be more nervous about this Buffalo game if it wasn't our third game of the season. We always have the yips. The yips follow us wherever we go, but I think it's less likely we have the yips during this game mm -hmm. uh, because we have more under our belt. And I don't want to say the next team we play. Can we just go to Michigan State now? Neither does uh, Scott or his former chief of staff. Ayo! Shots uh, fired. But yeah. uh, but we have to play Oklahoma, and I don't want to do that. Oh, Oklahoma. Yeah. For the wing. I am sweeping down the place. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, of course. I'm, I'm not absurdly high on this Oklahoma team in the grand scheme of college football, but compared to us, they're going to trounce us. I think there's a chance we keep it within 30, mainly because Oklahoma, you know, they have like two scholarship running backs on the roster. Spencer Rattler did not exactly impress last season where they lost to Kansas State and Iowa State early in the year. Oklahoma can play down to their competition, but still, we're just not at that level yet to make this any sort of a game. Oklahoma is going to murder us. I think Oklahoma really wants to murder us and has talked a long time about how badly they want to murder us, and so they will. Um, they have, they wanted this series. They're the ones that came to us and said, hey, we want to play a home away against you. And we said, okay, and that was a bad, bad idea. Uh, and then they were like, hey, we want this game at 7 p.m. so that we can kill you in front of God and everybody. And we were like, yeah, 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 we're really mad at Fox, too. Oh, my God, we're so pissed. Hey, do you not even want to play? What if we just don't play? We're so angry that you can't kill us in prime time. How about you just don't kill us at all? Uh, and I think that Oklahoma is going to be pissed at us. I think that a lot of eyes are going to be on this game because a lot of people are going to say, hey, this is a game plagued in scandal. Let's go watch Nebraska get murdered. And I think Oklahoma will thus say, in Norman, let us stop them and send them home. And it will be terrible, and I will hate every minute of it. But rivalries that young people don't care about because Nebraska hasn't been good since the year Justin and I were born. Michigan State! Oh, Michigan State. This is 
the the first of I guess Illinois is technically the first, but I'm more confident in them than most of the rest of the conference schedule. There's a group of like four teams that are just pure coin flips in my mind, not because like I think, you know, like I just think the bottom of barrel of the Big Ten has like this NFC East quality to it where any team can really be anybody depending on what type of day they're having. I think there are very few untouchable teams in our division. Like Wisconsin is probably about as close as it gets. I would say Iowa too, but for whatever reason, Frost has always played them close no matter how good they are. So I would certainly hope for that to continue. But Michigan State is a tough one because I think we go at there. And this is a coach in Mel Tucker who has beat Nebraska with inferior talent twice at Colorado. So that's not encouraging that he's out coached Frost already. And, but last year, Michigan state was really bad, but it was his first year during a pandemic trying to install a new system when you don't have a full off season has just got to be hell as a college football coach. So you really can't put that much stock in last year. The cupboard's not exactly full at Michigan state, but I do believe they're going to play really hard. It's a road game. I can see Nebraska winning this pretty easily, but uh, I'm not too horribly confident in it. But I think we probably win it. Just just gut feeling is that Michigan State's not going to be there as a team yet. I think getting this early in the year really helps. Okay. So, but we're thinking coin flip, basically. Yes, coin flip. This is one I'm like. You can convince do, me either way. We're going to do win-loss coin flip. Northwestern. Yes. Coin flip. Coin flip. Always. It's a Northwestern game. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> it's yeah. home, so that's nice. I love the Northwestern game. I will move heaven and earth to be at this game because what the hell is this? I Dare I use the rivalry word? I would use it. I Northwestern love this game. Is, honestly. Yeah. The like they're the game I look forward to most on the schedule because it exists in a time and place where laws of the universe don't exist. There is nothing besides chaos. This uh, in 2019, our third string free safety knuckleballed in a 23 yard field goal for a win in the 13, 12 game. That's like the third weirdest thing that's ever happened there. Right. Well, and I love I love the potential for rivalry this has going forward. There's a lot of mm-hmm. smack talk between those schools. It's a bunch of like corn-fed Nebraska like plucky losers versus like like oh we don't really care about football but we do care about beating you. My papa drives a Rolls Royce. Northwestern school kids, right? And from a university that sadly really disrespects the national sports press. And a university that turns out half the national sports press. You know, I mean, I just think the bones are here for us to hate each other for until we die. Yeah. And plus, we both want to claim the acronym NU. I know we're UNL, but NU's for the football team. Don't ask why. It just is. Northwestern. I know what. I know what. It's a big A thing. It's a big eight thing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm the annoying kid in class about this. It's a big eight thing, right? Before the big eight became the big 12, we all changed to like letter U, which is why when you refer to the university as a whole, 
it's the University of Nebraska that includes UNK, UNO, and UNMC. When you refer to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, that's just us. But NU, that acronym only gets used for athletic teams. Yep. And it's the NU logo that we used back in the Big 8 days. It's on the helmets of the alternate uniforms this year. So I would love if we crank those out again versus Northwestern just to put that in their face. It feels like a good game statement. to wear an alternate at. Yeah. Well, so we're like wearing those alternates against thing. Buffalo, but I would uh, like to see those helmets again. I'm actually – pardon my French. This is the like the one of the only games on the schedule I'm f***ing juiced for. Like, I'm so ready to go for this. I cannot wait. Yes. They always we, turn out a goddamn instant classic. Yes. Like, past editions of this game have included uh, a second and goal pass that went off the center's helmet. A fair catch at the one-yard line. Like, <laughs> so much of football is not played at this game. Like, this is anti-football at its finest. Is The Western catch, both of them, the behind-the-bag and the end zone catch, Northwestern games, right? No. The oh. behind the back was Florida Atlantic. Right. But the big one, the yes. moment that I really began to love Husker football, Northwestern game. I'm yeah. hyped, dude. I'm actually yes. excited for Husker football game this year. I kind of always forget about the Northwestern game until I think about it. But, like, damn. And then Michigan. Honestly, coin flip? Maybe. I don't know what to make about Michigan this year. They have, you know, obviously a lot of talent because they recruit super well. But it all depends on how much stock you place in last year of being predictive of future results or just weird because of COVID. We've seen in other sports that have, you know, gone through a season after a pandemic season <laughs> that sometimes things change just based on circumstance. And but Michigan, the players really seem to uh, lose the trust of Harbaugh. Like, or Harbaugh lost the trust of the players. Flip that around. Like, that team just quit last year. That's a really hard thing to come back from. But Michigan could. Like, they have the talent to do so. And, you know, getting juiced up to play in front of 100,000 is probably a lot more motivating to a team than parents. So <laughs> going like to Michigan is still super tough. So that's probably going to get them a lot of wins this year and maybe start some momentum. So I lean Michigan, but I can see coin flip. So deep, safe loss or coin flip? Uh, lean Michigan, but I could see coin flip. So, okay, but we, I try and do some math here. Okay, um, I'll, I'll say that's a loss because I, okay. Okay. I I gave us Michigan State. I'll give Michigan the other one. Okay, so Michigan State is not a coin flip. Michigan State is a safe win for us. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go win for okay. Michigan State because okay. I'm going lost at Michigan. Okay, that, cha that changes things. Minnesota, I'm going to say safe loss. I, I will as well. They won last year despite only having a – four available defensive linemen and half their offensive line was out due to COVID. That didn't matter. They still move the ball at ease. Tanner Morgan and Mohammed Ibrahim are both back. They are 
four-year starters in the Big Ten. P.J. Fleck, as annoying as he is, I hate him. Will, will always get that team ready to play. It's at their place that, where we have struggled under Frost mightily. In Our the second game row week there. in a row, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, that's a safe loss for me as well. Okay. I don't then, think it's impossible, but I think it's a safe loss. Then we play the prestigious University of Brigham Young East. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> got him. Got him. Took me a minute. Yeah, that's my favorite school to debate against. For sure. It involves <laughs> a lot of me drinking your coffee and chilling out. Uh, so this is another advantage of what it's a it's, this is an advantage of having that this week zero game we have two bye weeks right in the middle of the season so that could help heal up like give us some much needed rest before the gauntlet we finish with right right when's our first bye week I mean you have the schedule not me <laughs> I'm looking I'm dumb I'm very dumb not a bye it's after Michigan not a bye not a bye not a bye. This is our first bye week. Our second bye week is November the 13th. Yes. And then whiskey. And then, I don't, so, okay. So, okay. Purdue, dub? I would say dub. Uh, they, we shut down their passing attack pretty well last year for, you know, how much they threw the ball and how much talent they have at that area. We have underachieved at Purdue, uh, against Purdue in the past, but I really like our defense against their offense. I think the matchups favor us mightily in that game, so I'd, I'd say Purdue's a win. Okay. So that would put us at five in my guesstimations. Depending on how the coin five. flips go, it could be more, but I'd yeah. say five. Five safe sure. wins going into Purdue. So... No, uh, Five safe wins count. After Purdue, Purdue, going into the last yes. three weeks is what I mean. But yes. that's where I want to count. So dub, 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 loss, dub. Coin flip. <laughs> Excuse me. Close loss, big loss, dub. That puts us at six. Wait. One, two, <laughs> yeah, three. The three four, to start the game. Three, three to start game, the year. Michigan State. Michigan State, Purdue. Okay, so, but if we make Michigan a coin flip. Yes, which it could be. You've got to think one of those two, because, yeah, you know, Northwestern, I don't know. Yeah, it's impossible to predict. (laughs) If we go in at five wins, I, here's, here's the hottest take I'll make all day. Again, grain of salt, I know nothing. If we go in to the last three games at five wins, I think we do not get six. If we go in at six wins, I think we get seven and maybe eight. I like it. I like conditional math. I do. I, like, I do like conditional math, and I think it is what college football is all about, which is momentum, Right. If this team feels good about itself, if this team has moments, if they're having legitimately good weeks of practice followed by legitimately good games, I think that Frost needs confidence right now. I think that the squad needs confidence. I think Adrian desperately needs confidence. 
I think if we're kicking him, kicking around like, hey, oh my God, Nebraska has to keep him next year. He's improved a lot. Hey, oh my God, his draft stock is rising by the week. He just needs a big signature win to really bump him up here. Iowa's going to be good. Yes. But they're not going to be unbeatable. No, Wisconsin, they... Wisconsin's going to be good, but they're not going to be unbeatable. They'll be better no, than yeah. Iowa, I think. I, I think Wisconsin's going to be a tougher team than Iowa. I think we go on the road at them, maybe. Let's know. check. Mm, yes. We get Ohio State at home, but that doesn't matter. We will lose. Yes, that's it is not worth talking about. They will probably make the college football playoff. Yeah. It's them and everyone else in the Big Ten, Mm -hmm. if not the rest of college football, with them, Clemson, Alabama, everyone else. Because who do we think is going to win the West? Wisconsin? Uh, Wisconsin or Iowa, I would say. You know, maybe if some dominoes fall the right way, some bad injury luck. I could see a Minnesota or Northwestern having a miracle run, but that's that's going to take a lot of help to get there. But I would say Wisconsin. I think that they, more so than a lot of teams, got screwed over pretty bad by COVID last year. And I think their returning talent is in for a pretty big rebound this season. So I, I have Wisconsin as a pretty comfortable loss as well. But if the problems they had last year were not just because they've had multiple weeks missed and a lot of injuries and inopportune players out with COVID at certain times, uh, then that could be winnable. But I see that as an easy loss. And I see Iowa as a very talented team, a team that could easily win the West. But we have Iowa at home. That's going to be huge, especially with the crowd back. Like we have not beat Iowa in six years. That fan base is so hungry for a win there. And given that we've always played them close under Frost. No, like, this, is, this is my asterisk. This is the game that we could win if we go in with five. I don't yeah. think we will. I think, I think it'll be close. I think Frost will find a way to lose it. And I think that might be... I lied. That wasn't my hottest take. I think if we go into the Iowa game with five wins... I think if Frost loses the Iowa game, I think that is his ticket out of Lincoln and possibly out of coaching, head coaching. Maybe. Okay, let's. Because the university just laid down the clear cut ability to get rid of him without Mm -hmm. paying someone else to coach while we pay him to coach, Mm -hmm. not coach. I think it's I think it's this year or bust. I really do. Yes, and six wins is not that high of an ask. Like, okay, if you know, gun to my head, I predict the coin flip games. I say we get Northwestern and we lose Michigan. So, so we get six. So I'm six and six without the cop out of coin flips is what I think we do. I think he survives, but I'm fully aware that there's a possibility he might not. I think five and seven gets him out of there unless there's some uh unless adrian misses significant time with injury for at least multiple key games i think viable excuse is what you're saying yeah viable excuse like adrian missing time with injury or again uh 
this is something that could happen. Like this is a possibility of the big tens COVID policy is if a team cannot play a game due to COVID, they forfeit. Well, I think, I think we count that as an L for him. It is this man's job to make sure these SOBs well, don't get sick. Yeah. We are 90% vaccinated. So that means there are only 15 unvaccinated players on the entire roster. So that's just something to keep in mind. If that ever happens, like, that could change a sure loss into a win if it's the wrong team at the wrong time. I don't know if it'll actually get used, but that's another thing that could potentially uh, mess him up with an act of, you know, God, if something happens at the wrong time, like who but knows? It requires all 15 on that. Like, cause how many players do we need to not be able to play? I don't even know. It, it, it would just take something really unfortunate to happen. Yeah. And, and you're right, Frost should probably be able to prevent that. Like, that still could probably fall on him, but the details of this hypothetical are just so varied in the way it could play out that, yeah. you know, it, I have that under act of God is just an asterisk. And then, yeah. you know, and we've had, and I guess close losses, and just, like, if there's a loss that we would have won if not for, like, a bad call, like, even though those things don't solely decide the game, if there's an easy way out at five and seven, I think he stays. But if there's truly nowhere else to point the finger, I think he goes at five and seven. Okay. <laughs> I don't man. Oh. But, but I think, honestly, we will go six and six. I think the vision's here and just ugh, eventually something's got to swing our, our way, right? right? Like, since Frost has gotten here, we have lost more one-possession games than every team in college football but North Carolina, who went through a coaching sh- switch in that time. Like, we, we only recovered, like, three fumbles of the 15 we forced last year. It's just, eventually, regression to the mean has to kick in, right? And that's my main reasoning behind six and six. And, and, Frost past uh, coaching, you know, uh, failures against teams we should beat is the only thing preventing me from reaching higher because I think this team's ceiling is seven, five, eight, and four, as you mentioned. But it needs something like in those coin flips to spark that momentum. And given that I'm not even a hundred percent, we beat the team that finished last in the conference in our opening games. That should tell you that six and six is like about as comfortable as I can be, and I think that's. That's not thriving. That's just surviving for Scott Frost. I mean, my heart says six and six. My head says five and seven or four and eight. Uh, because this, this team has not had coin flip games go its way. It's a tough schedule. Um, those last three games are probably all L's. Yeah, like I think we probably have to go five and one, or at the very least four and two to have a shot at full eligibility. And starting five and one, even with you know a schedule that's pretty lackadaisical in the front half, is it's a hard thing to do for any college football team. Like if if we lose the Illinois game, yeah, it. 
I mean, it, it would take an act of, you know, he'd have to give one hell of a post-game speech to keep the team rolling and get to six. Like, if we I can't mean, be Illinois, I, I don't see how we can get six other, otherwise. I think it's, yeah, not impossible, but, like, it's certainly incredibly unlikely. Which is why, like, this kind of feels that, you know, I think hype is the wrong word because excitement's not exactly what we're feeling about Husker football. But, like, the most consequential opening game of recent memory, if not my lifetime, is this game. Definitely my lifetime, I think. I mean, like, what what else? What tops? Yeah, because... Only thing I can think of maybe was like Mike Riley's first game against BYU, but I think that was a non-conference game. This is a conference game on the road to open a season. This is a really very rarely season. Yeah, eligibility is going to be tight. So if, if they want this town at all to get excited about Husker football again, they have to beat Illinois because it's going to be hard just to get people to want to tune in and show up if that's the note you start out on, because it's going to take a lot to get back if you lose Illinois. Okay, gun to your head. How do we do? Uh, six and six. Five and seven. Oh, boy. <laughs> Here we are again. Yep. Okay, what are the just in the nick of time keys to the game against Illinois? Uh, don't do anything we did last year. Don't do yeah, dumb shit. Just, dumb. just for the love of God, do not turn the football over in Illinois, in your own territory, giving Illinois a very short field to work with. That, that just seems like a good idea. Like, start out strong. Man. Like, the first the play of the Illinois game was a swing pass that was a fumble. I would like to not see that again. Like, so I think that's the main key. Also, stop the run. Illinois is going to be running a lot. They have a depleted receiver core. If you can stop the run and make them pass the ball against a secondary that should be a strength this year for Nebraska with the wide receiver core that's not for Illinois, that should be huge for Nebraska. So stop the run because I'm pretty confident we can shut down the pass and don't do dumb stuff on offense that results in Illinois getting cookies on the other end. And I think we win. It's just (laughs) given that what I saw last year shows that that's not always a guarantee that we do it. But I think that's the most simple recipe for a victory is just doing those two simple things. And then just pure talent will take care of the rest. All right. Anything else? No. Uh, Read my stuff on on football. Read our stuff. Read Nick's stuff. He's, he's doing the actual important shit. I'm talking lot, about punters. No, no, no. Um, one of my favorite quotes ever is, of all the unimportant things, sports are the most important thing. <laughs> and it has been a blessing and a comfort to talk to you, my friend, about well, thank you. the most important of the least important things. So, uh, but yeah, go do check out our DN coverage if you live in the state and care about your community. And the Yankees have won 12 in a row. (laughs) I am once again ready to talk baseball. (laughs) 
you. 